So if you have your Bibles, you want to stay in Matthew 5, the text that was just read for us. Matthew 5, 38 to 48. And one of the problems with this text is that it is very easy to, to get bogged down in a lot of questions and a lot of distortions about the text. And here are three of the biggest mistakes that I think Christians have made in trying to understand this text. The first mistake I think is made is when believers uh, look at this text and try to make this about some macro, gigantic uh, principle that governs all countries and the world itself. In other words, there are a number of believers and another Christian and a number of Christian traditions when it says, you know, do not resist the one who is evil, their interpretation of that and the rest of the text is, is this is arguing for some form of pacifism. And so all uh, standing armies around the world should be uh, disbanded. Uh, if, 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 if somebody invades you, you just let it happen. And they, they, they look at this text in some of this massive global way. And I think, honestly, it distorts what Jesus is trying to say. I don't think he's trying to talk about global, just war, uh, pacifism per se. The other thing that, that people do with this text is they turn the text into a legalistic understanding of it. In other words, they start to, to literally talk about when Jesus says if someone slaps you on the right cheek and you turn the other cheek and they turn this into some kind of legalistic way of understanding it. And I think that's also a mistake. I think Jesus is using those examples to sort of illustrate how the principles he's talking about in this text flesh out, but I don't think he ever meant it to be an exhaustive or a, a, a legalistic bent to try to follow this text. And then there are those who make this, in my opinion, unrealistic. Uh, there are those who would say, well, if you've got to turn the other cheek, if you're, if you're being abused at home in, in, a, in a marriage, you're just supposed to turn the other cheek and that's it. No, I don't think that's what it's talking about. It's sort of unrealistic. If, if there's real abuse taking place, that, that needs to be dealt with. Uh, in some sense, partially by the church, but maybe also by civil authorities. I think some people try to look at this text and say, well, don't resist the one who is evil. And so if you actually are defrauded, you know, legitimately defrauded, you should never use the court system to, to bring justice. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think the only way you're really going to understand the text in its fullness is to understand that Jesus is focusing here on interpersonal relationships. He's not focused on the global uh, understanding of pacifism and just war. He's not uh, focused on this set of legalistic things. He's trying to outline that in his kingdom, under his leadership, how we conduct ourselves interpersonally with other people should be shaped by Jesus himself and by the kingdom that Jesus is talking about in these verses. And so that's where I want us to focus our attention on that. I think it's interesting with so many different interpretations, the legalistic mode, the, the, the macro thing that distorts it, or the unrealistic way of applying this text, keeps us from applying this text the way it ought to be applied. And I think that's a real danger for us. So let's dive in and look at the first principle 
that Jesus is driving at, and that is this. The first principle that Jesus is trying to talk about in verses 38 to 42 is he is calling us to be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of other people. Take a look at it, verse 38. He says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is actually a quotation out of the law. And that quotation was designed, I think, in the Mosaic Law to govern how a judicial situation would have meted out punishment in a certain situation. The whole idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was to govern the punishment meted out by a judge for a certain crime. And, and the idea, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is to make sure that the punishment was commensurate with the actual offense. The danger in any society, you can bring injustice in different ways. One way to do it is if, you know, somebody knocks your tooth out, right, and, 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 and then you burn his house to the ground. It's a little bit of an inequity here. The whole purpose of this part of the law was to govern the punishment so that it was commensurate with the crime. But by the time Jesus is dealing with this situation in first century Palestine, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth had been distorted to mean I have a right as a human being, if I'm harmed by anyone else out there, I have a right and maybe even a duty and an obligation to enact some form of retaliation against the person who hurt me. That's what was going on. It was actually used not simply to, uh, to, to minimize punishment, to be commensurate with the crime. It had now become almost a statement of what we had a right to do under the law so that anybody who harmed us, we could be justified in seeking some form of retaliation for them. And when Jesus says, he completely explodes that understanding of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And here's what he says in verse 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. In other words, what he's saying here is, do not pursue retaliation. That's not what the kingdom is about. That's not what I am about. Do not resist the one who is evil. And then he gives four illustrations. Again, not to be, to be uh, interpreted in some legalistic way, but he, he gives you the four illustrations. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this was not, this would have been done probably then. This is not something that I have seen in the atrium, thankfully, too much. But, but a slap on your cheek was not necessarily a massive physical harm, Okay but it was a sign of massive disrespect. And I guess this could happen in first century Palestine. We're gonna bring it back in the atrium starting next week. No, no, we're not. So getting slapped, it was not necessarily a physical abuse, but in the misinterpretation and distortion of God's law, they were using an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth to say, I have a right to seek retaliation, if you pop me, I'll pop you. Jesus is saying, no. That's not what my kingdom is. That's not what I'm about either. 
He goes on to say, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Uh, you could sue people back then, of course. In New Jersey, you can sue anybody for anything, all right? It's, it's the New Jersey way. But um, you could sue someone for the, the, your, the, 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 the garments that you would wear on the inside, right? And sometimes I guess that would happen if you owed somebody's money. They could go and get your clothes. But your outer garment would have been sacrosanct. You, you couldn't get that. that. That would be like protected, what Jesus is saying, well, if someone sues you and is going to take your inner garments, why don't you be a little more generous and give them your outer garment as well? Now, I'm not sure this is, again, interpreting this legalistically is what Jesus is driving at. I think what Jesus is saying is, in terms of treating another person if what is required of you by law or by custom is for you to do something, why don't you go the extra mile and do more than is required of you to show love and grace to someone else? Jesus is asking us not simply to tit for tat. He doesn't want us to retaliate, but he also doesn't want us just to mindlessly follow the letter of the law. He's saying, why don't you go the extra mile and do more? than what the law or the law court or the judicial system would require. And which, no pun intended, but that's sort of the next thing here. Um, verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. It would have been appropriate, I think at this time, our understanding is that a Roman soldier could have constricted any Israelite and asked that Israelite to carry his belongings for one mile. Now, I'm sure the Israelites didn't like this. I'm sure the people who lived at this time didn't like the Roman army being able to do that. Jesus actually says, well, if you have to take it one mile, why don't you take it two? In other words, go the extra mile. Don't insist on your rights. Don't limit the amount of love that you can show to other people based on this legalistic rendering. Go the extra mile, literally, to show extravagant love to those around you. Be willing to give up and lay down your rights for the sake of someone else. And lastly, verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, the idea here is to be generous. Lay down your rights. These are your things. If someone asks you if they can borrow your things, in some sense you have a right to say no. And, and, and I don't think these verses mean you can't ever say no. If you have someone who's habitually irresponsible, you might say, no, 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 no. Yeah, call Tracy, you know, or something. But I think what Jesus is saying is, if we want to love people the way the kingdom is supposed to look like, the way I, the king, have lived... I want you to be willing to lay down your rights. I want you to be willing to lay down what you think is rightfully yours in order to benefit somebody else. And I think that is the first principle here. And the reality, why this is so transforming but also so convicting is that if you've lived in the United States for more than 17 seconds, giving up your rights is not the first thing that usually comes to your mind when you're asked to help somebody. We don't like to do this. When Britain wanted to tax RT, what did we do? We threw it in the Boston you know, Harbor, all right? 
we don't like to do this. And this happens all the time. For those of you who have had kids uh, and you ever went on vacation, do you remember what it was like to drive two or three people who are sitting in the backseat of your car? And all of a sudden you hear, "He, he pushed me. Yeah, well, she pushed me first. And all of a sudden, you have Worldwide Wrestling Federation in your back seat on the interstate. Everybody's consumed with their rights. This is my space. You invaded my space. Therefore, I have the right to push you and do whatever I can to get you out of my space. Have you ever seen kids in a preschool nursery steal toys from another human being, another little toddler, happily playing, Kid comes up and grabs it forcibly. That's mine. And then it's Darwinism, survival of the fittest. And you talk to the person, you can't take that toy. They say, well, he took my toy earlier. What is that all about? My rights. My rights have been violated. My rights have been compromised. And I'm unwilling to lay them down to benefit someone else. Well, it happens with adults too. I mean, I had a, uh, recently I had a, I almost had a showdown in a ShopRite. I was, I bought a few items. I'm in the self-checkout. Nobody knows how to run the self-checkout, including me. No, it, all the lights flash, you know, and the lines get to anywhere. But I was in line first I was the next person to go. There's four stations. I'm waiting patiently. Someone else comes up and puts, gets in line like next to me, but I'm like, I've been here. I was here five minutes before you. And then when someone cleared out, they, 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 they jumped in front of me. And I kind of looked around. I was like, well, is anybody going to help me here? And then another person got in line, did it again. The guy in front of me, the guy next to me goes, oh, you know, and he started getting mad at me. You've got to be aggressive. I, I, I you know, I, 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 I could go off, I think. I promise when I do, I'll have a Princeton Alliance church shirt. Okay? Try not to embarrass you. But I was internally upset. Why? My rights were violated. I was first. And internally, I wasn't doing so good. And I judged the two people that got in front of me. I didn't like that. I thought if a third person goes in front of me, we're going to have a showdown here. Can't give up our rights. Oh, it happens in church. Oh, believe me, it happens in church. It happens on church ministry teams. I've seen it. I've probably done it. But I don't want to talk about that. I'll just talk about what I've seen. You're on a ministry team. There's a discussion about what to do next to, to maximize the giftedness of the ministry team and do a better job. And you believe you have the greatest idea since the wheel was invented. And your ministry team says no, and they go in a different direction. And then what do you do? Oh, I've seen it. I've seen people pout, groan, Adults pouting. I've seen adults then pull away from the ministry team, almost as if they're hoping that now the new initiative that's not their idea fails. I've seen people quit the team. Nobody will listen to me, which let me interpret. No one will just bow down and do what you want us to do. And an inability to lay down rights, 
to lay down what we think is right, to, to lay down our rights for the sake of the unity of a ministry team, we just are not that good at it. Let's be honest. I was working at Chick-fil-A. I've told you, I took a year off of ministry. I worked at Chick-fil-A. Saturday mornings, I was the manager in charge with everything. We made twice as much money on Saturday as any other day during the week. It was a hectic morning. And for 30 minutes, this is the way the schedule worked, I had to run the drive-through. I put the headset on. This is before Chick-fil-A. Now they've got iPads or they got machines out in the drive-through. This is where you had to listen to the person say what they needed. I hated this. I wasn't good at it. I can't do two things at the same time. It was awful. And anyway, this person comes up to the drive-through and I can hardly hear them. They, it feels like they're in a, in a, trapped in a, in a tunnel or something. They're trying to tell me what they want. I just guess what it is. I said, well, this is close. This is what you're getting. We'll sort it out later. The person pulls up and they pull up past the drive-through. So now I'm looking, you know, in my, the, my window, the drive-through, I'm looking at the back of their car. And their window of the, the, the rear passenger uh, driver's side window is down, but the driver's side window is not down. The woman is leaning back trying to talk to me, and I'm almost leaning into the back seat. I almost fell into the back seat trying to get the money, trying to find out what the order was. It was crazy. Now, this is an oversight in our legal system. If your driver's side window does not work, you cannot go to a drive-thru. But there we were, yelling at each other, you know, trying to figure out what she wanted. She changed her order on top of that several times. She tried to give me money and it all fell into the back seat. And I snapped. And I shut my drive through window. And I just went. She was trying to yell at me through the thing and I basically stared at her for 30 seconds and said, your passenger window won't go down, my, my window won't work either. It's not the Chick-fil-A way. We, we, we train to do everything to serve our guests. But I had had it. Why? This woman had violated the rights of the moral order of the universe, but my right to have a normal guest roll down her window, right? This is what we are. Let me read to you uh, from Hebrews 12. Turn to Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Romans, Romans 12. Romans 12. I want to, you to see a passage that maps, maps onto Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 about what is it look like to not be so consumed with our rights, to being willing to lay or set aside our rights for the sake of another. Romans 12, 17, Paul says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with good. 
What Paul is saying is what Jesus is saying. Retaliation is not the way of the kingdom, and it's not the way of the king. We should be willing to absorb some of the evil and injustice. We should be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of another person. We don't have to insist that we be treated perfectly at all times. We're willing to live with some of the small injustices that take place at every level in order to love the person that we're dealing with and not to seek revenge. We leave the wrath of God to God. We let God deal with the person we may be dealing with instead of us trying to play God and get retaliation on our own terms. And of course, we go back to Matthew 5. You're never going to do this if you don't go back to the Beatitudes and realize when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you realize that you have nothing to offer God, you had no goodness to merit salvation before a holy God. When you realize that the God of the universe put on a human body and came all the way down to earth fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life and then took our sin upon himself and took the punishment that you and I deserved. Until you see what God did in some sense. Jesus, in some sense, gave up his, his, his rights as, as completely and perfect and as God himself. In some sense, he was still God, but he gave up the exercise of those prerogatives in order to lay his life down for people like you and me. He didn't insist on everybody treating him correctly, did he? In fact, what does the scripture say? It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because he has put us in his kingdom by grace, he wants us to live out these kingdom priorities of grace and mercy. And just like our Savior set aside his prerogatives to serve others, he's asking us to mirror what Jesus did for us in the same way. No retaliation. Entrusting ourselves to God that he will bring justice and then being able to turn around and show love and grace with even those who may violate our rights and do this for the glory of Jesus. And I think we all understand what's happened to the church in North America what COVID, there's many things that COVID has done, but what COVID has done has revealed that for many in the church in North America is that we have demonstrated a, a, a lot of difficulty in being able to give up our rights to serve the rest of the body of Christ. We just don't do it that well. We don't. And when Jesus says, I want you to take, I want you not to resist 
the evil person. I don't want you to have this retaliatory ethic, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In your personal life, I want you to be able to set aside your prerogatives. And maybe, maybe you're supposed to give someone, uh, you know, your, your cloak, but you know what? Give them your outer cloak as well. And, and maybe it would be legitimate for you to say, you know, I only agreed to help this person for, for one mile, so to speak. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for two. That we would be extravagant in our love, not looking at our own rights, give, willing to give those up for the sake of others. Let's move on to the second principle. And you see that in verse 42. It's very simple. It says, it's to love and pray for your enemies. Look what verse 42 says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, it's really not a verses that say that. This is another distortion of the scribes and Pharisees, a distortion of the law. And I think what, what's happening here is that for the Jewish people at this time, they, they were convinced they needed to love their neighbor. That was in the law. But they begin to view any non-Jewish person as outside the parameters of that command. And they were the enemies, and therefore they did not have to love their enemies, which would have been Gentiles. That was that particular problem for them. Jesus, though, explodes that uh, distortion of the law. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a verse for you. Love your enemies pray for those who persecute you? You think about that. What we typically do when there's someone at work or there's someone in our neighborhood or there's someone at our school or even if there's someone at the church where we've got some tension, praying for them, loving them? No, 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 no. What you need to do is avoid them in the atrium, step one. Step two, if you think they've been gossiping about you, you make sure you gossip with another, a number of people too, right? Get your public relations thing going, right? And what you're never going to do is intentionally reach out and do something loving and spend a lot of time praying. Oh, you, the prayers you might want to pray for your enemy are sort of the imprecatory you know, prayers in the book of Psalms. Jesus is saying, listen, in my kingdom... What, 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 what the, the kingdom I want to establish and that I illustrate as Jesus, who's Lord of this kingdom, is a kingdom where people who are at odds with each other, those that are in the kingdom of Christ, intentionally reach out and love and pray and act completely countercultural to the way the rest of the world is. So I suspect... You could just think now, I mean, who are the people that are kind of either enemies or it looks like they're on their way to being enemies? Are you praying for them? Are you intentionally loving them? Doing something nice for them? Caring for them in some way? 
Again, I, 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 think, I think the thing you have to think about, you're never going to really move in this area until you realize what God did for you. We were all enemies of God. Before you came to Christ, we all shook our fist and said, thank you that you made me in your image, but I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm not only going to mess this world up, but I'm going to rebel against you and I'm not going to submit to you. And what did Jesus do? Died in our place. And remember when he's on the cross, right? And he's got the soldiers, you know, you know having a little, uh, you, know, you know, divvying up the clothes routine. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You think about what we do when someone's harming us. We, we don't sit around and go, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If we pray at all, we're saying, God, deal with this person justly. Forgetting that if God dealt with us in perfect justice, that wouldn't go too well. Or we turn around and, 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 and you know, we, we want to help the world see the, 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 uh, the, the, the dangerous person that's against us so everyone can see and, and understand that. And what does Jesus do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I will die for them as well. And when you see what Jesus did for us in our rebellion, in our disobedience, and he turns around after doing all of that for us, and he turns around and says to us, I want you to go in now that you're in my kingdom by grace. Now that you, you don't deserve to be in my kingdom, but you're, you are there. I want you to go out and I want you to demonstrate the same grace I showed you with everyone around you. That's what Jesus is driving at here. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can actually begin even to apply these texts is we have to be deeply and more comprehensively and more consistently aware of how much God loved us first. Because we're never going to love others. We're never going to love other difficult people. We're never going to love other people who are actually opposing us in some way until we see how much the God of the universe loved us when he came all the way out of heaven to save us from our sin. Just briefly as we wrap up. Verse 44 says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, the call to prayer and loving our enemies. And then verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father is in heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I want the world to see that you are related to Father God by grace. I want you to live in the same way that the God of the universe lives and acts toward his enemies, toward those who oppose him, to those who rebel against him. And he goes on to say, God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. Verse 45, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God cares for those who are godly and ungodly. He cares for them. And in a similar way, we ought to do that. He goes on in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, I think what Jesus is driving at 
It's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to love people who affirm you. But when you love people beyond that circle, you are demonstrating the reality of God working in you as he helps you by his grace and by the Holy Spirit to live out that kingdom in a new way. So I want to close with um, calling us to confession because I think if we're honest together, we are not living these two principles out. We are not laying aside our rights. And I think we all struggle with loving and doing good and praying for our enemies. So I want to lead us in a time of confession. I want to pronounce a promise of pardon, which we normally do in in a worship service. And then I want us to sing about God's love because I think the only way we move forward on this is to be immersed even more in God's love for us. So let's pray together. And join me in confession. Oh Lord, our rock and fortress, we are unloving people. We find it difficult to serve our closest friends and family and impossible to love our enemies without your help. We are quick to hate those who sin against us, finding it easy to seek revenge and harbor bitterness in our hearts. We have lofty expectations of how we want to be treated by others, and yet we are so easily disappointed or resentful when we are not treated as we think we ought to be. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are slow to be generous to those around us And when we are, we expect to be richly rewarded for our kindness by you and by them. Oh, Lord, we come to you as poor sinners, full of fear, for your law exposes our hearts and crushes our pride. We cannot love those who abuse us without your intervening spirit. We cannot be merciful to evil and ungrateful men unless you ravish our hearts with your astounding sacrificial love. Lord, thank you for your perfect son, who loved his enemies, even as he was punished for their sin and tortured in their place. He showed tender love to the most evil and grateful people, those who were just like us in every way. When Jesus sought refuge in you as he was dying, you looked away and allowed him to be utterly crushed by the mountain of your just demands so that we can now hide safely in his love and strong salvation. Thank you for the deep and effective love you have for your precious children and for enabling us to worship and adore your glorious son, our servant king. Father, help us to become kind and merciful lovers of our friends and enemies. Open our eyes to your amazing love and generosity toward us until we are transformed into your image to love as you love. Thank you, Lord Jesus for forgiving us of our unwillingness to lay aside our rights and our unwillingness to love and pray for our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.